Our scripture passage today is from a book that is not commonly read in the church, and that is the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're starting a, a short series where we're going to look at this book and look at some of the difficult questions that Ecclesiastes brings up. We're starting here today with Ecclesiastes 1, uh, verses 1 to 14. Before we do that, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Gracious and heavenly God, Lord, we thank you for your indwelling word within our hearts and for the word that you have given us through Scripture. Father, we know that the same spirit that inspired these words can inspire us today, Lord, and we ask that you send that spirit to us now. Lord, be in our hearts and in our minds that we may hear, that we may read, and that we may understand. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 to 14. Listen now to the word of the Lord. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit the winds return. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. is the word of the Lord. Thanks if you get two people that are trying to pick out a movie, there's almost always going to be the one that's the pickiest that gets to determine what movie you watch. Right, it's always the picky one, because they're going to be the ones that decide, no, I've got a real tight requirement about what my movies need to be like. I'm not just going to take any movie. Now, between me and my wife, I'm the picky one. So normally when we're watching something, I get to choose the movie. There's one exception to this. There's one movie my wife can't stand to watch, and it's one of my favorite movies. It is the Bill Murray classic, Groundhog Day. 
I love that movie. And every time it comes on on TV, I'm flipping through. I want to stop on it. And Liz is like, "Oh, I hate this movie. It's terrible." And I think the reason she hates it is that there is this repetition. <laughs> Would you say stupid? <laughs> There's this repetition that happens over and over and over again. It's it's a story. This Bill Murray is a is a weatherman named Phil Connors, and he is stuck in this place called Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, and he's stuck living the same day over and over again. It's Groundhog Day. Every day he wakes up, it's Groundhog Day. Doesn't matter what he does when he wakes up the next morning, it is Groundhog Day again, and he has to live the same day over and over and over. So it's not surprising that at some point in the movie, the character Phil is faced with a crisis of meaning. So there's no purpose. There's no point to this. And the movie is actually an analogy for life. They're, they're using his repetition in this small town to represent some of the repetition, the cycle that we experience through life. And there's a great scene where he's in a, uh, in a bowling alley and he's talking to these two locals and he's complaining about it. He's just realizing his life is a repetition now, the same day. And he goes, don't you ever feel like you live in the same day over and over again and no matter what you do, nothing ever changes? And the two guys say, yep, that about sums it up for us. So even though they don't remember the days being repeated over and over again, they still find themselves stuck in this cycle of meaninglessness. Now, the Bible is not a book where you expect to find a, a, a book in here about despair and the lack of meaning in life. This is a surprise to a lot of people when they read Ecclesiastes for the first time, when they hear these words, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And that's kind of a poetic way of saying everything is pointless. Nothing matters. It's all pointless. We're all stuck here. And the reason that this book says everything is vanity is the same reason Phil Connors said that. Everything was the same. He was stuck in a cycle. And in Ecclesiastes, he gives us this cycle. It says, the sun rises and the sun goes, and nobody knows where it goes. The wind comes from the north. It blows into the south. It goes around in a circle. The river, it goes to the sea, and the sea's never full. It's like we're on endless repeat over and over. And he says, nothing new has ever been done. Whatever's been is, is been. You can't look back and say, hey, look, there's something new here. Maybe today we've got new clothes and some new technology, but is, are we really doing new things? Are we just making the same mistakes humans have made for thousands and thousands of years, getting involved in the same drama, the same deceits, and the same sins over and over and over. Doesn't seem to be any change, right? We get up in the morning, go to work, come home, have our dinner, go to sleep, get up, start it all over again. And the work, work's never finished. And we can even look at, at life at being even a bigger cycle. You know, we were raised and we were educated. Why? So we can have good jobs. So we support ourselves. So we can have kids. And why do we raise those kids? We raise them so they can get good jobs and they can have kids one day. So maybe one day they can have kids and have good jobs and raise themselves and have a good house and it keeps going over and over and over. And then the book says even worse, nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. Whatever we do, 
is going to be gone tomorrow. Whatever we build is going to be destroyed one day. And to make matters worse, they're not even going to remember that we were here. They're not going to remember the things that we've done. Mark Twain said it very poignantly. It says, when a man dies, he is mourned for an hour, and he is forgotten forever. Mourned for an hour and forgotten forever. If we think too much about it, it's easy to come to that conclusion. What's the point? So it's strange we find this in the Bible. <clears throat> it's strange we find this what's the point question in the Bible itself. I mean, it makes us think, is God calling life pointless? Well, I'm going to caution you. Ecclesiastes was written by what we believe King Solomon. So King Solomon, when he wrote this, is calling life pointless. But then you'll say, but wait a minute, it's in the Bible. It's inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit. So whatever's written here must be true, right? Yes or no? It is true if we understand the purpose for which Ecclesiastes was written. And Ecclesiastes is a book written by a man in the midst of an existential crisis. Now, I mean existential crisis in the original meaning. Right now, they talk about a global warming as being the existential crisis or threat, as in it threatens our existence. The existential crisis I'm thinking about is the one that uh, it happens with uh, uh, grad students in philosophy. You know, the, go through the long, dark night of the soul where they wonder about what's their meaning and they struggle with their existential angst and, was oh, there a purpose to my life or is this all going to be meaningless? That kind of existential crisis. And I think this is in here in the Bible because God knows that sometimes we get caught in an existential crisis. That we sometimes wonder about what's the meaning of life and it sometimes looks like it's pointless to us. You see, the Bible's not all rainbows and sunshine. If you read through it, you'll find there's a lot of dark clouds and tragedy and pain. And why, you might ask, are there dark clouds and tragedy and pain in the Word of God? Well, because life is not always rainbows and sunshine. I had a Sunday school teacher of mine once that said it like this. He said, Ecclesiastes gives the Bible a whole lot of credibility. Because if you would think about it, if they were writing propaganda, why would you put something like Ecclesiastes in your book of propaganda that asks the questions, what's the point? And this just looks vain, and we're just going through a cycle over and over again. No, Ecclesiastes gives the Bible a lot of honesty. You might call it a brutal honesty. Maybe a painful honesty, but it is honesty nonetheless. Ecclesiastes teaches us a very important lesson. Actually, two important lessons. The first being, the ultimate mystery of life cannot be understood by the human mind. It's something you have to get a grip on. The ultimate mystery of life cannot be understood by our little human minds. And all human minds are little. Our philosophy can't figure it out. Our technology can't figure it out. And even our science, as good as our science can be, cannot figure out the mystery of the meaning of life. The second point it teaches us is that some things just have to be accepted. 
we can't understand it all. Some things just have to be accepted, but if we can accept these, then we can find peace, and we can even find joy in the things that we do in life. This book was written by, as I said before, King Solomon. King Solomon was a great man, however you measure it. He was considered a great man. He was great in wealth, one of the richest people ever to live. He was great in power. He could command armies, and he, could, he was great in liberty and freedom. He could do pretty much whatever he wanted. He was great in pleasure. He enjoyed everything that life had to offer, and he was wise on top of it all. He was wise, one of the smartest, wisest people ever to walk the earth. In short, he had everything he wanted. He had everything a human being could desire, anything that life could offer, but he still found that it did not ease the sense of emptiness in life. All of his power, all of his wisdom, all of his treasure, all of the pleasure that he got to enjoy, and he still still could not figure out that simple question, what's the point? Why are we here? All of his resources, and he could not make meaning for himself. And that's what we say today when people ask, well, what's the meaning of life? What do you think the purpose of life is? And the popular answer is, you get to make your own meaning. That's what they say. Oh, no, you go out, you go out and make it yourself. Whatever you want it to be, you get to make it. Go make your meaning. Go have fun with it. That's what Solomon tried. With all his resources, with all his power, with all his wealth, he failed. And if we try to make a meaning for ourselves, we will get the same result. Try to make our own meaning, make our own purpose, and we too will fail. It's because the human brain, the human experience can't make sense of it. It's just a cycle to us. The wind blows north, the wind blows south. The sun rises, the sun sets, the, the river it goes to the sea, and the sea's never full. Nothing really changes. I think trying to figure out life is like trying to figure out what a clock is for if you've never seen a clock. Imagine, imagine for a minute, you, you don't know what a clock is, you don't know what a watch is, you don't know anything about keeping time or hours and minutes and days. And you see a clock for the first time. You just see this machine, and it's going in a circle. It's going around and around in a circle. Yeah, well, what's, what's the point of this? You can study it for a minute, you see the little hand, little, little thin hand going around. You're like, okay, it goes in a circle, what else? And if you study longer, you can see the, the, the long hand, it goes in a circle too. It's a lot slower, but it's going in a circle. And if you study even longer, you see the small hand and you're like, oh, okay, this, maybe this will do something different. But you notice it's also going in a circle. And then you think, I'm going to wait to see if it goes all the way around. Something good has got to happen then. And then you watch it go all the way around, and what does it do? Starts all going in a circle. And you look at this clock, you're like, what in the world is this thing for? It just goes in a circle. Why would somebody make something that just goes in a circle? And that's what we look at. We look at life as much as we know. It just, oh, we're just going in a circle. People born, people die, people live. Wind blows. North blows south. The river goes to the sea. The sea, the sea's never full. And then some people have thought, well, you know what? If I look underneath the clock, I bet I can figure out what it's for. 
about then I can get to the purpose. So they take the clock, the face of the clock, and they try to look what's underneath. And that's what uh, we do with our science and our technologies, and we've gotten real good at that, of looking underneath and to see what is the mechanisms of the world and how they're working. And what you find if you look beneath the clock is a bunch of gears. And the whole point of the gears is to make the clock go in a circle. And that's what our science and our technology has found. We look into the, into the gears of creation and we've seen what's underneath, but all we've seen is all that stuff underneath just makes it go in a circle. We're like, well, we're no closer to figuring out the point of all. Our human understanding, as great as it is, is no closer to finding out the why. So just pick for yourself. Just pick your own meaning. We, we, we got no answer. Just whatever you wanted to do. You know, if it's to make plastic, go ahead. Yep, sure. Yep, meaning of life, make plastic. There's only one way that you can understand the clock. If you've never experienced the clock before, you have to ask the maker. What did you do? Why did you make this thing that goes in a circle? And they'll explain, oh, I made it to keep time. You see, it measures the hours, the minutes, and the days. And as soon as you get that answer, you're like, okay, yes, it makes sense now. There is a very good reason for it all going in a circle. I've got it. So, why does the life now look like it's going in a circle? Well, only God knows why he made life like it is. You've got to go to the maker. Only God knows why a generation comes and a generation goes. Only God knows why the wind blows from the north into the south and then around in its circuit. He's the only one that knows why the sun rises and the falls. He's the only one that knows why empires rise and fall, why people are born and die, why we have kids and raise them so they can one day have kids and raise them so they can have kids and raise them and why we get up and go to work and eat and go to bed and then start it all over again and why the river goes to the sea and the sea's never full. He's the only one that can answer that. And I've asked him. I've asked him that. I've asked him, why, why, Lord, why this cycle? Why are we caught in this? You know what he said to me? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. He, he didn't answer didn't answer even in those like stirrings of the spirit or some cosmic sign or led me to some other information. No, he just, he just didn't answer. So if, he, if you've asked the same question and you've got an answer, could you tell me? And then we'll, we'll get the word out to everybody because I haven't gotten one yet. I do remember when I first read Ecclesiastes and how excited I was because I was a as a young man, I was kind of caught in my own existential crisis, worrying about what the point of what all this was, and how come I'm just having to work and get involved in the cycle, like Liz said, learning math and cleaning my room, only if I'm going to have to learn more math and clean my room up again once the room gets dirty again. And you know, I asked my mom, why do I have to fix my bed and make it? Because I'm just going to mess it up again tonight. <clears throat> so I, I get to the book of Ecclesiastes, the first time I looked at it, and it said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Pointless, pointless. Everything is pointless. And I'm like, finally, the Bible is echoing how I feel. Somebody else has felt the same way. And I was so excited because I knew that if anybody had the answer, it was going to be in the Bible. And I was going to read through Ecclesiastes and it was going to reveal the answer to me. And I read it with relish and I just couldn't wait to get to the end because I knew that this book was going to solve the mystery of the riddle and the meaning of life. I'm going to give you a spoiler. 
little spoiler alert. I went to the end, I read through it, and Ecclesiastes does not solve the question of the meaning of life. This is what it tells you on the end. This is from chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's the whole duty of everyone. That's the best we can do. Fear God, keep His commands, do as you're told. I remember reading that and going, seriously? <laughs> this, this is the best that you can do. My mom's been telling me this since I was three years old. And I've already known that part. You couldn't do any better. You couldn't get any deeper with me. This is the best you can do. I was so frustrated to hear that. I was so disappointed when I read to the end of the book. And as I get older, I still get frustrated with that ending sometimes. But you know what? It's true. The ending is right. Or I put it a better way for you. Not better than the Bible, better than do it, you know, mind your own business. Or, or, I'm sorry, do as you're told. I put it like this. Trust God and mind your business. That's what you do. You trust God and you mind your business. Because all this, all this meaning stuff, all this, this big picture stuff of, of what's the point, what's the purpose, that's his problem. That's not yours. He's never asked you that you've got to figure out the purpose of life. He's never said, I anoint you with this holy quest. You need to figure out the purpose and the meaning of life. Go forth and find it for me. He's, he's never asked us for that. What he's asked us is to trust him. And to trust that he has taken care of this matter. What we should worry about is, well, you worry about your problem. And your problem is obey God, keep His commands, work hard, love each other, be kind, live a good life, forgive one another, keep the faith. Be the best person that you can be. For everything else, trust that God has taken care of it. He's the only one that can. He's the only one that can answer those questions or give us the meaning that we're looking for. So what I suggest you do in the meantime is watch Groundhog Day. <laughs> you should give it a watch. Give it a spin. It, it says pretty much the same thing. In fact, it says so much that we find in the book of Ecclesiastes, I often wonder if the person who wrote it was basing it on the book of Ecclesiastes. A story of a man struggling with meaning of life, of feeling like he's living the same day over and over again and stuck in this circle. And he tries the same things we try. It's neat to see how he goes through the cycles. First, he tries pleasure. He, he figures out that he can do whatever he wants without any consequences. So he searches out all the pleasures that life can give him. And he, and he does that for a while and he, and he loses interest and there's, there's no meaning in that. So then he tries power. And he manipulates others and he tries to create what he says is the perfect day where everything goes exactly as he wants it to go. But even in this, he despairs. And he tries death. He 
tries to destroy himself and he realized that that doesn't solve the problem as we can destroy ourselves individually but it doesn't solve the problem of the cycle going on and on and on so finally finally he accepts it he accepts where he is and where he is stuck and it is when he accepts it that he finds the freedom to make the most of his day. To make the most of the one day he has, even though it's a day that he lives over and over and over. So yeah, when you think about it, it does seem like we're stuck in a cycle. We live and we die, we work and we sleep. The wind blows from the north, it blows to the south. The river goes to the sea, and the sea is never full. Accept it. Accept it and trust God. And then there you will find the freedom when you decide to simply make the most of your days. Let God worry about the meaning of life. Let God worry about the grand purpose. He's, he's the one that created it after all. He's the only one that can determine it. He's the only one that can know. For us, we must focus with our portion in life. We must accept our portion in life. And what is this portion? To trust God. To obey His commands. To work hard. To love one another. To do good. To be kind. To keep the faith make the most of every day. And it's in there that we find not only freedom from our worries, but freedom from our struggles. If we do that, we also find peace. For it is these things that God is all He's ever asked us to do. If we trust in Him, we might not understand. We will not be disappointed. God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.